Welcome back. It's the College Football Winning Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. And with me today, as always, are Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish at CFP Winning Edge and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. To follow these guys on Twitter, Nick, what's going on, man? You know, it's interesting because things, of course, are are uh, still weird right now, at least in, in uh, my neck of the woods. But I've really been enjoying a lot of uh, college football writing that's out there. So I've, I've spent a good chunk of my last few weeks uh, reading. There's a lot of great stuff at, you know, The Athletic, at PFF, ESPN with uh, Bill Connolly and 247 Sports is really up, you know, sort of up there game so i'm i'm uh i feel very fortunate you know even though things are are uh at a stop for for a lot of sports information it seems like the college football world at least from a content standpoint seems to be producing a lot of stuff which i'm excited about yeah i mean the other sports that those guys sometimes you know uh reporters uh cross over different places and stuff like that they're obviously not doing any of that right now because no other sports are going on except for i have been watching a little bit of kbl baseball yeah <laughs> so i mean it doesn't start until eleven thirty, uh so it is a little bit late even for me but um yeah i've been watching a little bit i like to see a bunch of bat flips xavier what's been going on in your world there my state is losing its mind oh uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> you know you know when the governor decides to open malls and salons and everything else you know your state kind of goes back to normal really fast and uh right now just trying to make sure that i'm not one of the few or many who uh catches the coronavirus with this state reopening but uh yeah that's my world right now yeah i mean for me uh they're they keep this is our governor is just like uh, i i don't even know how to describe him he's just like uh, what do you guys think you guys think i should do this you know uh, what do you, what do you guys think? Uh, what, what do you think? Should we be doing this? So like, he's going to slow roll things like salons open on Friday and then, uh, retail is going to open on Monday and then, you know, restaurants can open with, uh, whatever type of capacity they find fit, but no bars. So I'm like, well, what about a bar restaurant? Like, how do you decide, you know, is it, exactly. is it have more sales and food or more sales and alcohol? I don't know. So, um, uh, so I don't. I honestly don't know what the hell's going on here. Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be writing black book chapters for the next week and a half anyway. So um, you know, I'm I'm pretty much stuck at home, regardless of what the decisions are. So that doesn't matter to me. But today we're going to be talking about uh, the Pac-12 and doing the all uh, you know all preseason Pac-12 team as uh, who dropped something, who did it. That was me. Ah, ah, yes. See, Nick? It wasn't me. That's the boss. The boss is messing <laughs> stuff over there. Um, but, I mean, uh, that that's that's the plan for today. But before we get there, um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the housekeeping stuff at the top here or just stick to the intro here, Nick? Uh, well, I mean, I, I did want to mention uh, a couple of things. Did, did uh, make an update in our FPS team profiles, any of our – uh, Patreon supporters probably know this. There have been a couple of areas that uh, are still somewhat under construction. One of those uh, is our special teams uh, sections. We, we've, uh, for the first time, started actually building out player ratings for special teams. And it's not that it's a really in-depth thing or, or super 
time consuming. It's just uh, a little bit farther on the on the back burner. So we've got that. But then I've also uh, been running numbers for position usage data. So like, uh, you know, how much, uh, how many carries, what percentage the, the number one running back gets, you know, who spreads the ball around more, who uh, really rides one guy, do that for all different sorts of positions on offense and some other stats and, and things like that. And it's taken me a little bit uh, of a uh, time to get things lined up, but did complete all the SEC uh, position usage data in those team profiles uh, this week, and, and so should be able to roll out the uh, other conferences sort of on a, a weekly basis for the most part, part from here on out. So I'm excited about that. I think those numbers actually can give a good uh, bit of information, you know, especially when you're looking at coaching changes and things like that. And, and you know, if you're looking for uh, more CFF focused uh, use of our data, I think that's pretty helpful. You know, if you're looking for tight ends or you're looking for uh, teams that really focus on, you know, one receiver, that sort of thing. So excited about that. Glad they're in the works. And then also uh, did finally uh, sort of make the, make the, uh, line in the sand. I am am going to put together a preview book this year. That was that uh, the super secret uh, thing that you didn't want to guarantee uh, from last well, week. Well, it, it's it, yeah. I mean, it's it's something that's <laughs> always sort of been on my uh, been on my mind, and, and I've had some conversations with different people. Got feedback from you guys, and and uh, it seems that you know preview. Uh, documents, whether it's a, a traditional magazine, which uh, one thing I, I failed to mention about what I'm excited about, Athlon Sports Magazine is coming out soon and, and happy about that. And I've actually uh, was able to uh, play a role with uh, the stats section in, in that, which I'm excited about, thankfully uh, for me or, or you know, uh, Bill Connolly is no longer available to Athlon with his new deal with ESPN. So yeah. they had to settle for me this year. So I was uh, <laughs> Happy to get that opportunity and, and uh, excited about that. But, um, you know, so magazines like that, of course, Phil Steele and, and all that have always been something I went to. And, and there's so much information out there. People are doing so many different things. I was curious, you know, what what people really like to use. So I put out just a couple of uh, sort of random polls and it seemed that there was an, an appetite for a you know, a PDF type download, uh, which I know there've been some other great ones over the last few years as well. And, and it's been on my mind and, and finally decided I'm going to, uh, put that together and, uh, I'm excited about that. Give a little bit more detail, a little bit more, uh, you know, expand on, on some of our numbers and things like that. Maybe explain them a, a little bit better to, to people that might, you know, just look at our, our Google sheets and, and at first glance, they might be, a little bit overwhelming to some. So I think adding a little bit more of the written word will, will help sort of uh, people get uh, maybe a little bit more familiar with those type numbers. So I uh, have some opportunities out there. If anybody's interested in helping me write, helping me outline, uh, reach out uh, via Twitter. I'm looking to uh, hire a couple of freelance helpers with that. And, and uh, the plan is to get it uh, published and ready to go uh, in July, early to mid-July, and uh, all of our patrons will get free access, uh, of course, to that as well. So, yeah, it's uh, you know a couple of things that are that are in the works, uh, I guess. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, we knew Nick was going to come up with something crazy with all of this extra, you know, downtime. I mean, it's not even really that much extra downtime for you, you know, uh, because like you said, you don't, I mean, we all realize how much more we, we go outside and interact with people than we probably think we normally do at this point, because like I thought I was kind of a shut in, uh, for a while. And now with this, you know, a stay at home order and everything, I'm like, I want to get out of this house, you know? Um, so I don't have actually that much extra time, uh, especially right now because I'm writing, you know, black book chapters and football is coming in and we're going to start doing, uh, baseball mock drafts. We just did one of those before we recorded this over at ITL. But, um, yeah, man, I, I knew you'd come up with something great and I'm excited to see the, uh, end product there. So, and congrats on the Athlon stuff too. I didn't even, I don't uh, think I, I had realized that. So, uh, that's going to be a, a lot of fun when it comes out too. And no one will be disappointed that you're not Bill Connolly. So <laughs> don't worry about that at all. Um, yeah, it's like when I wrote for the black book and they're like, who's this guy? And why did he get 700 pages? Because I'm long-winded on everything. So <laughs> same same deal. But, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of news before we get in, uh, before we jump right into the uh, 2020 preseason All-Pac-12 team. Um, but the first bit is uh, former Virginia Tech safety, Khalil Ladier, who played 39 games for the Hokies, including 13 starts, transferred to Louisiana Tech. The Bulldogs had two DBs drafted, uh, and Virginia Tech didn't have any, so I don't know. It, why do you think he's making this move, Nick? Well, he, I believe, was injured last year. Uh, he, he had a really productive uh, time prior to, to 2019, but didn't didn't do much last year. Didn't play a whole lot, and it, you know, Virginia Tech actually wel- welcomes back a, a big percentage of its secondary really it's its defense as a whole so uh perhaps he thought there would be an opportunity to to play a little bit more elsewhere um oh i take it back he, he, i i must have had him confused with somebody else he, he played in 13 games last year but sort of fell down in in the pecking order he was he was much more uh part of the defense in in 2018 but uh you know probably just uh, an opportunity to play he, he's somebody that has had success uh louisiana tech has, has done some good things um in the past producing nfl players like like you mentioned had a, a couple of guys uh go in the middle rounds last year and uh gives uh, a player like this 511 190 pounds has played uh, mostly safety uh but you know perhaps a, a chance to get a little bit more playing time and and maybe even uh, uh, you know, through that, be able to catch the eye of, of uh, some uh, pro scouts a little bit more than he would in, in uh, a limited role at, at Virginia Tech. What, what do you think about Ladler, uh, Xavier? Yeah, I think it's a, a move for him to obviously get more playing time. I mean, Virginia Tech returns 10 starters this year on defense. And if it's stacked up against him, I think that's an opportunity for him to go get more playing time. You hit the nail on the head when you said he played safety. Um, at, at 5'11", 190, He's probably trying to get more of an opportunity to go move to corner um, that more fits his style of play and obviously fits uh, for more of its transfer to the NFL. Um, and obviously, if he feels like he's playing out of position, he needs to go get reps somewhere else to where he can show the NFL possibly his versatility, but also what he can do at corner. So I think it's a win-win for him. Yeah, it looks like Shamari Connor beat him out uh, last mm-hmm. year. And uh, he Connor wound up with 68 tackles and 10 tackles for loss, and five and a half sacks. So it's just about getting playing time 
uh, a lot of time for these guys. Uh, Purdue starting cornerback Kenneth Major entered the transfer portal. Uh, he played in 24 games and made 15 starts for the Boilermakers, so losing a big piece of that defense, Nick. Yeah, that, that one was a little bit of a, a surprise. He was, he was a partial starter, uh, but was a, a fairly productive player and, and you know a big part of that defense. Of course, Purdue did struggle defensively last year. So, uh, you know, they, they also brought in, we talked last week, they brought in a, a transfer from UConn who was highly productive uh, with the Huskies. And, and so maybe there is just uh, a, similarly, you know, looking for more of a chance to, to play somewhere else had fallen out of favor, fallen out of the rotation, maybe compared to uh, some of the others uh, competition for playing time. And, and so, you know, similar to some other people that we'll uh, talk about between now and, and the season starting, you know, everybody seems to be uh, on the search for, uh, a better opportunity. So perhaps Major thought that there would be uh, more opportunities for him elsewhere, whether it's at the FBS level or, or maybe even drop down to FCS. You got a decent fit, Xavier? Oh, you put me on the spot <laughs> here. I mean, well, a lot of teams but, looking for defensive backs. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think we do need to keep in mind that when people put their name in the transfer portal, it doesn't immediately mean that they're transferring. They could always remove it going forward. Um, I, I say this as a disclaimer as we continue to go down this list of names. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't have a fit for him at the moment. Yeah, there's a couple other guys that entered in the transfer portal. Uh, East Carolina safety Daniel Charles entered. Uh, he appeared in 24 games for the Pirates with 12 starts, and he had uh, decent stats in 2019. Uh, Florida offensive lineman Isaiah Walker, a four-star member of the 2020 recruiting class, who enrolled early, is in the transfer portal already. So it must be something he doesn't like right there. And mm-hmm. Kentucky lost a few players uh, to the transfer portal, too. Uh, B.J. Alexander, the wide receiver, and a pair of uh, d- reserve defensive linemen. They only had six seniors plus Lynn Bowden, uh, but they signed 23 in the 2020 class. So uh, anything on those guys, Nick? So Daniel Charles was there. There were a few ECU players who uh, were suspended indefinitely for uh, just different off the field things in January and, and February. I believe he was one that uh, was facing potentially a, a suspension. Um, so that's you know probably plays a role, but uh, he he certainly carved out a a role for himself last year. So somebody that if he can get everything. Uh, situated off the field probably could have an impact uh, for another team. Maybe just a change of scenery for him would be uh, a positive move. Uh, Florida, you know, with with guys enroll early, they get a a look on campus. Walker, uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly what the situation is. I know there have been, you know, last year Florida had, I think, a couple of guys that uh, enrolled early, including a quarterback that, you know, never made it to the fall, ended up transferring for uh you know whatever reason maybe it's homesickness maybe uh something personal comes up of course you know uh, with with what we're dealing with now it could be any any number of things where somebody might need to to, uh take a year off spend more time at home get a little closer to home whatever it is so uh you never really you know when when you're signing a, a pretty high uh highly rated guy looking for depth along the offensive line it's certainly not something you hope for. I mean, Walker was, was pretty highly recruited. It was a 93 uh, rating coming out of high school, according to 247 Sports, uh, the composite. So somebody they were, you know, expecting to play 
uh, eventually play a role in the offensive line in, in the next couple of years. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what, what happens to him. Maybe it just, he felt it was a, a you know, not the right fit. Um, Kentucky, th- this one's interesting to me because it's similar to, or, or it, it, it is something that comes to mind when we talk about maybe a, a Kenneth major or a Ladler or something like that, where guys maybe see, their role reduced in some way and, or, you know, a new uh, staff might come in at Purdue. They've got a new defensive coordinator uh, specifically. Virginia Tech also has a, a new defensive coordinator after Bud Foster uh, retired. So sometimes guys can get lost in the shuffle. Uh, but Kentucky specifically you mentioned they only had six seniors last year and they signed a pretty big class. So sometimes the numbers don't add up. So sometimes uh, players like this and, and, I don't know for sure that this is the case at Kentucky, but uh, or, or any of these others. But sometimes guys are sort of, you know, uh, strongly suggested they transfer just to sort of get the numbers, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of to, to line up. Uh, there was one I was reading about uh, a Missouri player, a running back last year, who was a you know a three-star guy, played in one game as a true freshman, um, was hoping to you know see a, a, a bigger role in 2020 but because missouri lost a couple of scholarships because of an academic fraud case issue uh from the ncaa they had to make some cuts so basically uh he went he went on the record and said that the coaching staff said you know hey you can uh you can stay at school and and we'll honor the scholarship but we can't let you be part of the team so um you know for for i guess the scholarship and academics would be different than, than if he were actually a, a member of the team. But, you know, there are certain situations like that where guys kind of, uh, unfortunately, for, for one reason or another, their scholarship to, to be a member of the team might not be there. So I have a feeling that that might be the case with some of these guys at Kentucky. I could certainly be wrong. But when we see numbers like this, especially this time of year, um, where two or three guys in the matter of a few days are, are announcing that they're leaving uh it might be situations like this where maybe it's not entirely their decision now xavier yes tennessee tennessee has gotten eight recruits i know in the last eight (laughs) days including dylan brooks the number one player in the state of alabama the five-star defensive end uh they've gotten a couple other four stars too Mm -hmm. what the hell is happening in tennessee uh i mean we just you know, Tennessee is a historic program, obviously, uh, but we're just not used to this recently. So what's going on there? I can't tell you. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things. Is this all proof? I, genuinely, I would think so. I mean, we know him as a great recruiter. Uh, this is a guy who has brought in some amazing talent at the places he's been and has done a good job at Tennessee. You know, he was able to get Kay Mays to transfer in the offseason. Um, and now he's bringing in guys like Cody Brown, um, who a lot of people thought was going to Georgia, a running back who played for, uh, 25 minutes away from the University of Georgia, and he pulled him to Tennessee. I mean, this is one heck of a coup for them uh, right now. This isn't the first time this has happened, though. This happened, I believe, in about 2014 and 2015. They had a similarly great recruiting class that came in, and we all saw that what happened there. Uh, so let's not get too excited about Tennessee's <laughs> current exploits on the recruiting trail. But uh, this is this is really good for Pruitt, who uh, is looking to make Tennessee a viable program again uh, for top talent. Nick, what is happening at Tennessee? Same question. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's interesting because I don't pay very much attention to recruiting until after signing day. And then I'll go back and, you know, once all the dust is settled. But this this really caught my attention. I mean, Tennessee is is it seems like every day I'm, I'm seeing, uh, you know, think four star commits, five star commits. Uh, I saw something just before we started recording that said uh, that they expect to get maybe three uh, guys over the weekend. So, uh, they're, they're not done yet. It, it's interesting. I, I did see some numbers that apparently at this time of year in 2020, we've seen just a, a huge uptick in the number of kids that are committing. And you have to wonder if it's related to, you know, the situation that that's going on. Guys aren't able to go out and, and make all these visits earlier today. The NCAA did some things, changed some things on what, uh, interactions uh, recruits are able to have with coaching staffs and, and teams virtually and, and things like that. So it, it's like really just a reminder. You can't right. do X, Y, and Z just well, for and everyone. We won't punish anyone right now, but now you can't do X, Y, and Z for real. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, and, and some of it, they've, they've opened it up a little bit more. I guess I'll something about that a recruit can sit in on one meeting, like one oh. team. Okay. Stuff like that. So, so they're like, hey, look, everyone, Tennessee is doing the right stuff. You're allowed to do this, too. That's what it was more like. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, Tennessee, like like Xavier said, Jeremy Pruitt has a, a strong track record as a recruiter. They've got some great recruiters on that staff. T. Martin uh, was known as a, a good recruiter when he was at USC. He's now at, at Tennessee. And so, uh, you know, it, it's former it's, Steeler, T. Martin. Sure, sure. And, and uh, another thing that, that I, I wonder about, because we have seen these large numbers of kids recruiting compared to previous years, and because of the unique situation we're in, I wonder if we get to the fall and, and things are more or less back to normal, are, are these kids going to stick at a, at a higher rate? Or are we going to see maybe a higher rate of decommitments, and and maybe there's going to be a lot of movement in the in the winter, you know, leading up to signing day and things like that. So it'll it'll be interesting to me to see as somebody that doesn't really pay a, a ton of attention throughout the calendar year to recruiting how it changes this year, and then if there are teams like Tennessee and and I know North Carolina has been on fire, Ohio State is still you know, uh, ranks at, at number one in the, in the most recent two, four, seven rating. So, uh, interesting to see if, if teams that are doing so well right now can maintain it, you know, especially some of these, uh, newer names that we're not used to seeing at the, the top of the rankings like a Tennessee. Uh, so tell us about the ESPN, uh, 2020 power football index, because it was recently updated, right, Nick? Yeah, so FPI is is a similar system in some ways to what we do uh, at CFB Winning Edge. They they build a uh, a power rating, and, and you can use that power rating to project point spreads and, and things like that. And and uh, FPI it, it's interesting because some people love it, some people hate it. Uh, I, I've I've heard varying opinions from varying types of fans i mean some uh you know really analytical people love it and similar analytical people hate it just the way that they weight certain things uh they look heavily at whether or not a a team returns its starting quarterback for example and and uh just 
you know, the, the things that it chooses to put a heavy emphasis on, uh, for some people makes a lot of sense and for other others, it doesn't. And then more casual fans that, that, you know, don't always pay close attention to analytical models and, and things like that. Sometimes FPI spits out some really, uh, unexpected things. And so it can, you know, uh, for a casual fan just might have a, an extreme reaction to be like, Oh, you know, what is this? What is this garbage sort of thing? <laughs> One of those that yeah, probably came out, uh, this week when they, when they did this update, if somebody, you know, uh, clicked in to, to take a look would have seen, uh, Northwestern ranked 25th in the most updated ESPN FPI. That, that's the one that just, you know, stuck out to me. That's uh, for real? Just, that's for real. They, they have <laughs> Northwestern projected to go about seven and a half and four and a half. Uh, this is a team that, you know, obviously fell off a cliff last year, but they returned almost everybody and then added, uh, you know, a multi-year starting quarterback from Indiana as a grad transfer. So uh, there are certain Dang. things in Northwestern's profile that FPI really likes. Uh, we, uh, our numbers are not as, you know, high on, on Northwestern. We do think that there's certainly a chance for them to bounce back, but we have them ranked 53rd. And, and, you know, and similarly to what we do, these rankings are not a projected order of finish. It's who would be favored over who on a neutral field type of thing. So, you know, Northwestern uh, does have several Big Ten teams that, that are ranked much higher. FBI is pretty high on the Big Ten as a whole. But, uh, yeah, that, that's one that, that jumped out to me. So I just thought we might take a look at some of the, you know, teams compared to, to our numbers, our, our early projections, and, and see if, you know, some were too high, like perhaps a Northwestern, or maybe some were too low. I mean, there, there are some teams that are borderline top 25 teams in our rankings who are outside the top 50 in FPI. So it's always interesting to see how we compare to others, I think. I don't, Xavier, did you hear anything Nick just said after Northwestern is 25? <laughs> I mean, no, I am, I kind of just I am like, dumbfounded. I was like, what? Yeah, no, I mean, okay. Barring all the numbers that they said, did they watch the team last year? I mean, there has to be some type of an eye test here as well that goes into this account. Uh, I, okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's it, though. It doesn't have. Uh, so, so, some people love that it doesn't have an eye test. Some people want, you know, only numbers, no opinion. You know things like that, which which I understand, and and I've actually when I when I first developed uh, my model, it I kind of had that in mind. I, I wanted to see is there a way to do player ratings where other than the the talent projections, which of course are based in opinion, so already it's a little murky, but. You know, I, I wanted to, to see, is there something we can do to approximate an overall player value without including any additional opinion, without my own opinion? And in some ways, that's that's really valuable. I found that the, the way I do it, there were improvements I could make by bringing in other analysis, including my own, you know, eye test, my own evaluation. And, and I think that by blending the two, uh, I feel really good at, at where our numbers are at right now. But there are some people who think, you know, numbers only. There are some people who think, you know, what are these stupid numbers? We don't need them. So I, I try to find a, a balance. But uh, so so to answer your question, 
as far as I understand it, and I've heard a couple of explainers of, of FPI, and they've got a really, really smart team that puts a lot of effort into it. But uh, as I understand it, they only look at uh, you know certain efficiency metrics from from you know statistical team performance and things like that from the previous year, returning production, and then put a heavy emphasis on uh, the quarterback whether or not uh, he's returning. Well, I can tell you this: if Northwestern finishes in the top 25, I will be a uh, staunch religious follower of FPI moving right. forward. So uh, I just like I was completely taken aback by that. But looking over this, I mean, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of interesting numbers in this. The, the one that sticks out to me is that the top three teams, Clemson, Ohio State and Alabama, are the only teams with a over 50% chance, uh, you know, they give playoff percentage chance uh, at yeah. making the playoffs. So it already feels, and I think most people already have that, where they feel like Clemson, Ohio State, and Bama are going to be in the playoff this year uh, just because they are most years. Specifically, Clemson and Ohio State uh, you know, are returning their starting quarterback. Mac Jones got a little experience at Bama last year with uh, Tua Tunga-Viola missing the end of the season and then LSU just lost a ton so they're down here at like 23.7 percent there's two teams that have higher odds than them in Wisconsin and Georgia so it's interesting to see those numbers yeah I think so and and I also looked at you know the the percentage of winning the conference sort of gives an idea of which conferences seem like they are maybe a little bit more wide open than others Alabama uh, interestingly enough, uh, which I guess it makes a certain amount of sense, but has a higher chance of making the playoff than they do of winning the SEC. They're almost 60% to make it to the playoff, but they're only 41% to win the SEC. And that's because, you know, Georgia's ranked fifth, LSU's ranked sixth, Auburn's ranked ninth. I mean, similar to our rankings, we've got, I think, seven teams in the in the top 25 are the SEC. Uh, they're they're similar i mean the, you know that the sec pound for pound is is the strongest conference and and so the chance of getting two teams in is is uh relatively high uh but it's it you know oregon it it seems other than clemson clemson has an 88.5 percent chance of winning the acc but uh, oregon's at 58 and a half percent that that's uh pretty interesting to me they're they're only ranked eighth but the pac-12 as a whole uh they're they're relatively low on i mean and they're only, they're starting a new quarterback too so that's true that's true and I'm, I'm interested to know curious i should say what sort of weight they put on anthony brown because he has starting experience with boston college mm-hmm. uh but was injured a, a good bit of last year and and is new to oregon so i'm not sure exactly how they uh incorporate transfers i do believe that if a transfer has starting experience they uh, take that into account. But I remember this time last year, Ohio State was was pretty low in, in FPI, or at least was second in the Big Ten to Michigan, in part because uh, Justin Fields was, you know, a first-time starter at quarterback. So uh, any system is going to have its flaws, and, and they're, you know, they might really project – 90% of, of teams quite well. And then every once in a while you get sort of a really weird thing like one, Northwestern yeah. going into the, in the top 25, right. but everything else lines <laughs> up 
decently well. So that that's my thought. I mean, I, I have respect for FPI. I, I think it's a useful tool. Uh, it's certainly not perfect, and and we're certainly not perfect. So uh, it, I like to, well, to yeah. This is better than anything I would throw together. I can tell you that. (laughs) Maybe not better than Nick, but better than anything I would throw together. So uh, for sure. I mean, do you want to um, do we want to kind of look by the highest rated by conference real quick, Nick, and and, uh, go through that? All right. So the SEC's got um, uh, Alabama has a 41 percent chance to win their conference. The Pac-12, like Nick already mentioned, is Oregon at 58 and a half percent. The Big 12 is wrong because Oklahoma is the highest at 41.1%. Uh, Ohio State in the Big 10, not a surprise, almost over 50%, 49.3%. Clemson, and this is just this just shows you the level of competition that Clemson has at the AAC. That's why they're over 50% to make the playoffs. And to win the division, 88.5% to wow. win. That's unbelievable. The AAC is UCF, as it always is, at 77.2%. Mountain West is usually Boise State. It is again this year at 47.1%. Conference USA, the MAC, and Sunbelt are all a little closer. Uh, Conference USA, it's UAB to repeat, 34.4%. If I'm remembering correctly, they have a lot of returning starters, right, Nick? Mm -hmm. They do. And then Buffalo is at 26.6% in the MAC, and App State in the Sunbelt at 40.8%, which is... I mean, Nick, if you had to pick one of these to guarantee, it, it would probably be Clemson, right? I think so. I mean, the the gap between Clemson and the rest of the conference is, is really big. The ACC and sort of the way they stack it up is, is uh, uh, something that I, I paid relatively close attention to this week. I did a, a little... Uh, was part of a roundtable at... at Afonsports.com, where they asked what the uh, who should be favored in the ACC Coastal, and our numbers, as we talked about during our ACC look ahead earlier uh, a couple of weeks ago, was Miami. At the time, Miami was favored according to our numbers in all twelve regular season games, had a talent advantage in eleven out of twelve, and and uh, those numbers have changed just just barely. Where Virginia Tech is like a Point three point favorite right now over Miami, but still we we're very high on Miami. Last year we were very low on Miami, so uh, I'm I'm curious because FPI has Miami at 51, which is much lower than I expected. Uh, but you know what are, what sort of credit are they giving Derek King? Maybe we're giving too much. Maybe they're giving too little. Maybe it, it's something in the middle. But uh, I was also interested to see Virginia 71st. Uh, that that's really, really low. And and we were quite low on Virginia last year. They ended up winning the division. They, of course, lost a lot of production, particularly on offense and, and uh, you know, have a, have a lot of uh, work to do. But I would expect that they're better than the 71st best team in the country. And, and our numbers have them, uh, you know, more competitive, not necessarily we don't expect them to, to win the ACC, but they're in the top 50 for us and for them to be outside the the 70s was a surprise. Similarly, Mississippi State in the SEC is ranked 72nd. And we've talked before, we talked just last week, how KJ Costello is one of our uh, top quarterbacks, according to our numbers. So it's just, you know, certain certain things are, are, you know, really large outliers compared to 
our numbers. And, and I'm always curious to uh, wonder, you know, why that is and, and uh, uh, try to see if, if maybe they know something I don't know <laughs> and, and maybe we need to reevaluate a couple of things. But uh, for the most part, I feel comfortable, but, but it's always fun for me to, to look at these and, and see where the major differences are. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, looking at the top 25, Nick put a list together of the two highs, two lows, and you know, in uh, just a question mark, like are these too high or too low? Wisconsin is, uh, you know, fourth in the country. Uh, Oregon is at eight. Auburn's at nine. Texas at eleven. Florida at twelve. USC at thirteen. UCF at fourteen. Michigan nineteen. Louisville twenty. TCU twenty-one. Iowa twenty-two. Indiana twenty-three. Utah twenty-four. And Northwestern twenty-five. Um, which one sticks out to you as the most overrated in that group, Xavier? Well, I mean, we, 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 we spend enough time on Northwestern, so I'm not going to keep killing them. <laughs> of course. Um, but I genuinely think Utah. Um, this is a team who really lost a lot of talent last year. You know, uh, first off, they're only returning less than half of the defense that ranked number two in the Pac-12 last year. They're missing about 65% of their returning production offensively. And I don't see where they think they're going to make that kind of loss up. Um, to rank them at 24, I really think that that's going to be an issue for them uh, going forward. And I, and I don't think 24 is good enough. And when we get to the too low, I think uh, in a second, I think I have another team that should be in their place. Uh, Nick, are, are you in agreement with that? I mean, outside of Northwestern, of course, do you have uh, a feeling or a grip on one being too high or too low here? Well, it's really funny that Xavier brought up Utah because uh, I agree personally that, that Utah doesn't seem like a top 25 team yet our current team strength ratings our overall power ratings have utah 18th so we're even you know more uh bullish on on utah than fpi is so that that's another just interesting uh thought i think louisville at 20 is probably too high i think they did a lot of really really great things last year but 20 uh, that that seems like a stretch tcu didn't make a bowl game they were perhaps the best team in FBS that, that didn't qualify for a bowl game, but you know, a fringe top 20 team seems a little high. Uh, I do really like that they have UCF at number 14. I mean, we're, I thought we were going to be the highest out there on, on UCF. We have them 16th and FBI has them, uh, you know, just a couple of spots higher. Uh, Wisconsin at four seems, uh, seems a bit high to me. <laughs> uh, they certainly are a, certainly are a, a good team, quality team. A lot of uh, you know, the offensive line is always a strength. The defense is very good, uh, but we have Wisconsin seventeenth, so that's a that's a pretty big gap. We don't see them really as a, a college football playoff contender, and and uh, FPI gives them a, a really good shot of of making it to the playoffs. So uh, as far as the top twenty five. Uh, that might be the biggest gap as far as, you know, ultimate ceiling maybe uh, between our numbers and theirs. So uh, go ahead, Xavier. I was going to say Auburn's another one that kind of worries me them being that high. Um, this is a team that relied heavily on their defense last year, and I don't know if they got that much better offensively in the offseason that's going to tell me that they deserve to be this highly ranked. Obviously, they're on the back of Bo Nix this year, um, and I'm not so sure he's going to be able to produce enough to keep uh, that offense up. 
um, as high powered as they need to be, I think, uh, for a defense that lost a lot of top of the tier talent. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you on that. What about moving over here to the top 50 too high or too low? And I, there's some just some surprising teams in here. Uh, Stanford at 31, who, um, you know, obviously had a very, very down year last year. Kansas State checking in at 32 is fairly high. Um, you know, new coach last year and all that stuff. Uh, so still getting adjusted, it seems. Texas Tech at 41, a little surprising. Cal at 42, underrated defense as always. Uh, ASU's in the top 50. UCLA was so wishy-washy last year. And Georgia Tech at 50. I don't know if I'm more offended by Georgia Tech at 50 or Northwestern at 25, guys. <laughs> yeah, the Georgia Tech win was a surprise. And, and we talked before. We went into the, the returning production deep dive a couple of weeks ago. And Georgia Tech ranks among the leaders, as does Northwestern. So uh, I certainly understand being more optimistic. I certainly understand expecting them to be more competitive on a weekly basis. But... Uh, both Georgia Tech and Northwestern were three and nine last year, so uh, it, it's just it's difficult for me to imagine or to you know to envision that big a step forward, especially since Georgia Tech, according to our numbers, is at a talent disadvantage in the vast majority of their games. So uh, it, it will be interesting to see. I mean, having Georgia Tech at fifty and Miami at fifty-one, and I know Georgia Tech beat Miami last year. This this is sort of the uh, the debate, you know, the debate, I guess, uh, between eye test and, and analytics. Miami beat, or excuse me, Georgia Tech beat Miami last year. They beat them on the road, I believe. Mm-hmm. But Miami was a much better team than Georgia Tech. And, right. And, and, you know, for, for the way I see it, like I know in one afternoon it, it didn't look that way, but they play uh, a game a uh, hundred times and Miami wins 98 of them. You know, Georgia Tech I, got their one, you know. Sure. I, I think so. And and our numbers, you know, for Georgia Tech, they're our lowest rated ACC team. They're 86th right now in, in our rating. So that's a pretty big jump. I mean, by uh, at the end of the 2019 season, they were like 103, something like that. So we see a, a, a decent improvement. But uh, Miami has, you know, top 25 talent. Georgia Tech ranks in, in the bottom of the uh, the power five as far as our talent numbers go. So uh, it's just, you know, just another another uh, sort of eye-popping team <laughs> seeing Georgia Tech in the top 50. Uh, Xavier, any takes on these top 50 teams here? Uh, I really like Stanford. Um, I know that they lost Costello, but this is a team that I think defensively is going to be a lot better than they, what they were last year. Uh, I think that's going to bode well for them. I think the offense will come around. Um, and I don't think they're going to be nearly as suckful as they were last season. So let's just put it that way. Um, and then I really like Arizona State. And you guys will probably realize that from my uh, all Pac-12 offense and defense. Uh, but I love Arizona State this year. I think they're too low at 48. Um, to have them at 48 and Northwestern at 25 is blasphemous, um, especially <laughs> with all the talent that they're returning. And they actually made it to a bowl game last year, guys. Once again, did you watch the games? Uh, but yeah, Arizona State, I think at 48 is too low. Now, I like the blasphemy in there. I always <laughs> like it when you can uh, throw one of those out. So I'm I'm for that for sure. The, the other ones in, in the top, I mean, Nick, you mentioned a lot of these, like Miami being at 51, being behind Georgia Tech, just ridiculous. FIU, who had many players drafted and was in the bowl, they're down at 119. Arizona and Arkansas are in being in the top 
half of college football teams is just way too high for those guys. Uh, Virginia and Mississippi State, probably both too low. NC State, maybe a little bit too low at 77. Coastal Carolina, Syracuse, Rice, uh, Hawaii, North Texas, all kind of low in here as well. Which one stood out the most to you other than the ones you've already mentioned, Nick? Well, Syracuse at 88 seems uh, very surprising to me. And I know Syracuse was bad last year, but... You know, two years ago, they, they won 10 games. We expected that they uh, had a chance to be a top 25 team last year. They had injuries at the quarterback position and, and uh, have lost a lot of production on defense, especially in the pass rush, the, the front seven. So I, I get not being high on Syracuse, and, and we're not, you know, we don't expect a ton. We have them 71st, but 88. Seems about where maybe Georgia Tech should be. I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Coastal Carolina, four spots higher. Uh, Coastal Carolina, and, and they're always a team that, that sticks out to me, at least so far, because of the way we calculate our uh, unit ratings, our player ratings, all that sort of stuff. Coastal Carolina is at a disadvantage because they were a transition team from the FCS just a few years ago. And, and so they've got maybe lower ratings than they should. But we have Coastal Carolina ranked 122nd, uh, eighth in the Sun Belt. Maybe that's too low, but I don't think it's 40 spots too low. So uh, that that one stuck out to me. Hawaii in the, the mid-triple digits uh, stuck out to me. North Texas uh, being 118. I know they disappointed last year and Mason Fine is gone, but, you know, they're, they're – pretty talented team they've they've got talent to compete in conference usa i would expect and and uh similarly fiu and and middle tennessee has one of the best quarterbacks at at the g5 level in asher o'hara i I am very surprised to see middle tennessee ranked 123rd so uh you know i've said it several times tonight already it's just interesting to see that the differences uh between our numbers how we see it and, and how uh different analytical systems how different models sort of evaluate uh teams xavier those uh bottom teams there which one stuck out to you the most yeah i mean as much as i've crapped on miami in this offseason i don't think they're the 51st worst team in the country um i think that they have a lot of talent coming back and although i do not think Derek king will be upright for the majority of this year i still think they might be able to pull out ball games syracuse is another one they were a weird team to me uh, to be able to point out last year uh, we thought their defense was going to be better. They sucked. We thought their offense was going to be worse. They were probably the best part of the team. Um, so I think that this year coming in, I think we'll have a better beat on them. And I don't think 88 is where they deserve to be. Um, Arkansas is weird. Um, they're a team that it, it that brings in a brand new head coach. And for me, that doesn't bode well in a conference like the SEC. Um, on top of that, Arkansas has not been a great program uh, over the last five Ten years. Um, so I think that it's going to be. <laughs> I didn't really think about it. I had to think about Darren McFadden. Um, but uh, you know, I think that Arkansas is a team that maybe power ranking wise might be better than the teams below them. But as far as their conference is concerned, it will probably finish towards the bottom. And so that's also something I have to keep into account here when I look at these teams. Uh, all right. So uh, I mean, a lot, lot of, a lot of fun stuff to go over. Like uh, Nick said at the beginning of the show. There's just a lot of writing. There's a lot of stuff out there, uh, you know, to kind of just expand your mind on college football right now. But uh, we are going to go ahead and head in into our 2020 preseason of the all pack 12 offense. 
So I know, Nick, you threw a couple polls out again this week, uh, and then we have the VGR Plus all-conference team. So uh, take us right into it. Yeah, so offensively, um, similar to, to like we did last week with the SEC, there were a couple of unexpected names that, that popped up as the highest rated at their particular uh, positions and and. You know, the first name probably jumps out to a lot of people. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, the UCLA quarterback, is our highest rated uh, player at, at the quarterback position in the Pac-12. All Washington and, and State's fault, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he, he certainly uh, had a, an incredible statistical game against Washington State. He, he had some other, you know, decent games as well. He's a, he's a fairly high-risk, high-reward type player. I know that uh, there are some, you know, folks in, in the Pac-12 that really, really uh, are not impressed by what Dorian Thompson Robinson has, has done. I know that accuracy is an issue. I know uh, mechanics are an issue. There, there, uh, there are a lot of improvements that could be made. He's the not guy bad. Only, he was just so highly rated. You know, yeah, I think he was a, a five-star guy. So I think people are uh, disappointed by what he's done so far. Sure, and and he only played one year, I believe, of, of the quarterback position in high school, and, and he's got a huge arm. Uh, he's very athletic, and, and so the tools are there. But he's he's somebody that uh, maybe you know the 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 improvement over the first two years on campus. We we expected maybe to see a little bit more consistency, and and we've seen the flashes. Like you mentioned, Washington State, he threw for 500 yards, five touchdowns, and also ran. All in the second uh, half. Two yeah, two yeah. touchdowns and, and 57 yards. So, you know, that that is he ever going to do that again? Probably not. But, I mean, he, he threw for 370 yards almost against USC and three touchdowns. And, and you know, we've we've seen flashes of what he can do. So he's, he's built – you know, he's, he's added production points in our system because of games like that. But, you know, perhaps coupled with his rating, which might have been based a little too much on potential and raw talent, uh, maybe we do have him a little overrated. So maybe he's somebody that's, that's you know, we're going to have to take a, a hard look at should we pull his rating down a little bit. But maybe this is the year he puts it all together. I don't really want to limit a, a guy like that or, or punish you know ucla when we're we have the the chance our our projections have the chance maybe to to uh think ucla be a little bit better and and you know i don't want to miss that opportunity if if uh they end up being better than sort of what the public thinks and and you know by knocking dorian Thompson robinson's training down so anyway that, that's probably too much <laughs> on him but uh, a pretty pretty interesting case, I, I thought, because uh, one, our poll, of course, had Keaton Slovis as the, the Pac-12 uh, quarterback, and, and I also thought Keaton Slovis, uh, who early in his career has already proven to be uh, highly productive, you know, showed great command, showed uh, that he could run the offense really well, and we saw there were a couple times he got injured and, and you know, against Utah – uh, USC played quite well, but then he, he also got injured in the bowl game, uh, and Iowa just completely took over the game once Slovis was was out. So uh, we've we've seen you know he could have an impact on the game 
with his play, but also when, when he's maybe not able to be on the field, uh, USC, we see take a, a step back in some instances. So uh, that, that to me, I think makes sense that Keaton Slovis probably should start the, the year as the Pac-12's quarterback. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, what about the rest of this all-Pac-12 team on VGR+. Plus? So at running back, we have Jamar Jefferson at Oregon State uh, and Max Borgie at Washington State. Both of them pretty interesting cases because Jefferson was hurt a good bit last year and also shared uh, carries with a senior who is now gone. Borgie has a chance maybe to carry the football a little bit more than he did with a new head coach there, but uh, we're not 100% sure. Uh, at receiver, we've got two highly rated USC uh, receivers, Tyler Vaughns and Amonra St. Brown. I think that makes sense. Both of those guys were in the poll as, as uh, first teamers. Jalen Red is our third highest rated uh, receiver, which is a little bit surprising since he started off the year really well last year. But Johnny Johnson, the third, I think, came on toward the end of the year and, and probably proved to be a little bit better uh, for the entirety of the season. And then with Micah Pittman coming in, we might see a little bit less, uh, you know, ability for, for the target share might go down a little bit for Red. Uh, at tight end, I think Brant Queeth, uh, I uh, could be wrong, uh, is from a from a production standpoint as a receiver uh was as good as it gets in, in the pac 12 and and really is sort of the only choice i think uh at that position offensive line we just did the five highest rated players uh didn't worry about position on, on this one but penny uh who's you know incredible left tackle at oregon probably the number uh, one pick in the draft next year if it's not a quarterback yeah you know generational i've I've, it seems like the last couple of decades maybe he's the highest uh regarded offensive line prospects uh Mm -hmm. walker little at at stanford is is similarly rated he he was uh highly thought of coming out of high school a five-star guy he's he's uh done you know he's he's done well when on the field he just unfortunately was injured a lot last year uh Foster Sorrell, uh, also his uh, his teammate, fellow tackle, um, uh, is in a similar similar situation. Highly rated coming out of high school and and uh, has some experience as well with eleven starts for Stanford. Elijah Vera Tucker, the USC tackle, uh, got some All Pac-12 consideration last year. He's a ninety-one rated player according to our numbers. And then uh, Abraham Lucas is, is somebody who got a bump. Uh, from the eye test. Uh, that's something that we do on occasion. We'll actually go in and, and especially players on the offensive line, interior defensive line, it's difficult to get those stats and, and add production points. So we're going to take a little closer look for eye tests. And Abraham Lucas is somebody that's been uh, an all Pac-12 performer at Washington State, has, has done some really, really good things. And he's somebody that uh, because we gave him a, a bump in his ratings, a, a 96-rated player, uh, certainly deserving of, of one of those spots, I think. Uh, all right. How about uh, how about your team that you put together? I mean, the poll, I, I think that there weren't many surprises in the poll, right? It's Slovis, uh, C.J. Verdell from Oregon. Um, you know, I, I'm going to have him in my all-pack 12 team, just spoiler alert. Uh, Max Borgie was just too good. <laughs> Uh, and I think the two USC wide receivers are uh, probably just, they have to be up there. Amonra St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn. I think Amonra St. Brown's better than his brother, who was drafted, I think, in the sixth round, Equinamia St. Brown. Uh, 
uh, also mm-hmm. out of USC. And then Kyle Phillips, um, uh, Kyle Phillips from UCLA, that might be the only surprise because he's not on any of ours, right? Right, Nick? Yeah, it seems so. And, and that's probably based on his stats coming back. I mean, the, the Pac-12 has some very talented receivers and a lot of guys with huge upside. But uh, as far as overall returning production coming back, receiver might be a little bit on the on the low side. You know, we lost guys like uh, Brandon Ike, first rounder, Michael Pittman, early second rounder. Uh, both of those guys put up really huge numbers. Isaiah Hodgins at Oregon State uh, had double-digit touchdowns, 86 catches, and over 1,000 yards. So, And then, of course, Washington State lost a couple of guys who, who had good numbers as well. So we lost some, some high-end talent. So it makes sense that uh, maybe that third spot could be up for grabs. And a guy like Kyle Phillips, who caught 60 balls and five touchdowns, you know, ranks among the – the returning leader, certainly in the top five at, at a lot of those categories. So uh, makes a, a certain amount of sense, but I personally see probably a Washington State receiver. I went with Renard Bell uh, as that guy, um, and I, I think that we will see receiver production continue to be uh, at the, the very highest level, probably under Nick Rolovich and, and that new offense. Um but uh, Borgie, uh, the running back, is an interesting case, and we've talked about him before. What sort of production numbers are we going to see? Are we going to see him get the the ball as a you know as a ball carrier more? Are we going to see him uh, continue that receiving production? Uh, because I, I did want to really, I, it came down to me between Borgie and, and C.J. Burdell. And I I like Jamar Jefferson probably more than most, but I think when he's healthy and and now that uh, he's not going to have to to share carries as much, I think he's going to get back to the numbers he put up as a true freshman when he was a freshman All-American. He better have in our league. (laughs) uh, But for me, it it came down to Burdell and Borgie, and I sided with Borgie because Burdell's production was really – there were like three games where he put up huge numbers. I think you've mentioned this before as well, that, that uh, you know, from a fantasy point standpoint, he, he just blew up in a couple of games where he had over 200 yards and three touchdowns against Colorado and Washington State. And then he also ran for 170 yards in a game and, and uh, or excuse me, Utah. He, he blew up in the Pac-12 championship game. Mm-hmm. Uh but really, outside of that, he, he wasn't great. He had no other 100-yard games. Uh, he only had two other rushing touchdowns. And, and then also, uh, Oregon basically has a goal-line running back. Uh, Habibi Likio uh, has 10, you know, had you 10 touchdowns. That, and he's coming back. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. But, I mean, much but, better than me or Xavier would have done, for sure. <laughs> So if unless C.J. Verdell is breaking off long touchdown runs, there's a chance that he's not really going to put up the numbers that we think of as a Pac-12 quarter or a running back. But then also I went back and I looked a little bit at, at recent Hawaii running backs to sort of get a gauge on what maybe we could expect from Max Borgie. And Hawaii the last two years ran a, a pretty traditional run and shoot. They, they did incorporate some RPO type stuff that that is not – part of the traditional playbook from June Jones and those type of guys. But uh, during that time, they ran the ball 
a little bit. I mean, they're, they're leading uh, rusher last year. Miles Reed had over 800 yards, but he only got 11 carries per game, 11 and a half, only ran for about 60 yards per game. And he only caught three passes. Hawaii running backs as a whole only caught five passes last year. But three years ago, when Rolovich was running more of a pistol system that he that similar to what he did at, at Nevada when he was offensive coordinator there, they ran the ball a lot more. Uh, they had a, a Decibi St. Juice ran for uh, 1,500 yards, over 125 a game. He also caught uh, 28 passes. So what you know? What are we going to see? I think I think if we see the the offense more so, you know, more like we saw in 2017 at Hawaii, Borgie can put up huge numbers and, and could be certainly an all Pac-12 type guy, maybe even an All-America type guy. Uh, but if we see the running back be used like we like we did at Hawaii the last two years and more of the traditional run and shoot, those numbers, especially as a receiver, have a chance to go down. I I believe Rolovich is. Uh, smart enough to know he's got to get the ball to, to Borgie in different ways, probably right. move him out of the backfield and, and you know, utilize him maybe more as a uh, receiver, but also uh, as a receiver out of the backfield. We'll see. But I decided because Verdell was kind of boom or bust uh, to go with Borgie at, at that spot. But uh, offensive line, pretty similar. I did go to, to the same uh, top two tackles, Penny Sewell and Walker Little. You have uh, to go with those guys, though. Like, and and just to peel the curtain back a little bit, we all have the same five offensive linemen, you know. And, and it's just hard to go against these five guys, though. I think so. I, I think Lucas maybe could make a case uh, for one of those spots, but Little is is you know first round type talent. It, it seems uh, the interior. Uh, we have the same guys. I mean, Drew Dahlman was was all Pac twelve. Uh, center. He he was uh, got consideration last year. Uh, Donovan West at Arizona State, who can play center, probably going to play guard this year. Did some good things. Got some recognition as a uh, freshman All Pac-12 player. So that's probably why he got my uh, sort of nod, benefit of the doubt. And then Jackson Kirkland uh, at Washington, who's had some injury issues, but has has played really well in the past. Uh, got my other guard spot. It's it's. Uh, though we settled on the on the same guys, I think the interior we could have come up with a lot of different uh, combinations. It's just there's a little bit, you know, the elite talent isn't quite there like it is at the tackle position. Uh, now, uh, yeah. l- looking through all of our Pac-12 teams, I mean, we've got mostly the same guys. Now, I will ask Xavier. We're going to start with you. You have Jaden Daniels over Keaton Slovis. I wanted to do it. I almost pulled the trigger on it, but I just couldn't. I, just, I couldn't do it. So t- tell us why Daniels over Keaton Slovis. I just think going into year two, he's going to be amazing. I mean, we, we see this, the numbers last year. I think they used him more of a game manager. They didn't let him let him rip every single ball game unless they had to. Uh, but we saw the talent. We, we saw it against Oregon last year, even against FSU, he had a decent game, but you know, 2,900 yards, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions. That is a stat line of a more of a game manager type quarterback in today's college football. But if they let the guy go, which I think they will in his sophomore year, I think he can easily throw for 3,700 to 4,000 yards, um, you know, 25 plus touchdowns and keep it under seven interceptions. You know, also, and we'll talk about him in a second, Frank Darby, 
you know, he loses Brandon Ayuk, but I think Frank Darby is going to be a guy who could take that spot from Ayuk and be his number one receiver um, and be the guy for him all season long. And I just really like what Jaden Daniels has the opportunity to do at Arizona State next year. I think the hype is real for this kid, um, and I think he's going to live up to it going into his sophomore year. I hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> and uh, then the one difference that you have between uh, Xavier and I, uh, Nick, outside of you know Xavier having Jaden Daniels, is you have Renard Bell from Washington State, who anyone that has looked at your CFF ratings knows you're a big Renard Bell fan. Well, I, I'm I'm big on Washington State's receiving core. They did some interesting things last year. A couple of guys were able to uh, redshirt. You know, the, it was a deep group last year, um, and Bell is is he and, and Tay Martin are, are the two uh, most productive returners coming back from last year. Bell reminds me in, in his stature to some of those Hawaii receivers, uh, Jojo Ward, Cedric Bird, those guys who, who did so well in the system that we expect to see uh, under Nick Rolovich at Washington State. So mostly it's it's well, it's a little bit the production because he was good. He, he did lead him lead the team in, in uh, catches, I believe, but uh, also just sort of he he reminds me from a stature uh, standpoint of those guys that I've seen have such success. So I, I went with Bell, but I I was going to go with one of the Washington State receivers because I think whoever becomes sort of the the go to guy. Uh, or, or even, you know, we could see a situation where two guys are, are over a thousand yards, uh, as was the case at, at Hawaii in years past. So, uh, decided to go with Bell. He's not the highest rated according to our numbers. That's just more of a, an instinct, I think. Is there anybody else we need to talk about here? Nick, one thing. I know you were talking about how Verdell earlier was a, a boomer bust guy. But when you look at the numbers going into last year, even with that, with, with all you said, he still finished fourth an average yards per game rushing last year in the in the Pac-12. And this is mm-hmm. behind Zach Moss and Joshua Kelly and Eno, Eno Benjamin. So even though he is a boomer bust guy, uh, well, according to, to, to what you were saying, I think that he has the opportunity to definitely average more than what he did last year in 90 yards a game. I think, you know, 96, 97 yards a game is something that would easily make him probably the best running back in college, uh, in uh, the Pac-12 next year, um, maybe alongside Borgie. Uh, so I don't think he's that much of a boomer bust guy to where he's either going to run, run for 30 yards or 170. Uh, I think he has a little bit more uh, ability to sit there in the middle at around an 85, 90-yard game guy. So You said Verdell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think losing Justin Herbert, they're going to focus more on the rushing game too, right? So Yeah. Uh, I think sure. Hey, more carries. Because that's a great – that's a great point. And, and uh, for me, it was kind of a three, you know, three player race. And, and I think I just like Jefferson maybe more than most. And, and so he got the nod. And then Borgie is just such a it, maybe I didn't ex- or, or didn't didn't uh, phrase it the best way. Thinking, you know, citing against Burdell because he's more a boomer bust because because you're you, you make a great point that he's probably. From a from an average game, maybe I should expect more consistency from him than I would. Yeah, but Morgie, I think he's been fairly. Uh, he's been a fairly decent letdown because Die had a bunch of carries as well, and like you said, they do have a goal line back as well. So I'm not I'm not against not having Verdell on this list uh, at, at all. So I, I think you can put, I think those three guys are probably it. And maybe even, I mean, we listed him at uh, the all purpose, 
But if you wanted to put Felton in there either, I think those four guys are by far and away the top running backs in the Pac-12 going into the season. Someone might stand out, of course. But, in you know, Christopher Brown is decent, but, you know, their offense is uh, usually one-dimensional. So I, I would say that those those three guys that we've all picked, plus Felton and uh, – Plus Felton, if you want to throw him in there, I I think that's a pretty good representation. Sure, sure. And then at the at the receiver position, you guys uh, listed Frank Darby, who I think is is certainly uh, somebody to to consider at that spot. I and mean, we've seen the last couple of years, Arizona State's number one receiver has blossomed into a go to guy, and Darby is been very explosive, a guy that can stretch the field and, and uh, provide big, big plays. So I certainly wouldn't argue uh, with you guys for, for listing Verdell or or Darby. I think there are certainly uh, some good options at the skill positions here. Yeah, and Darby yeah. for me, uh, that was more of a Brandon Ayuk is gone, right? So mm-hmm. they're looking for a new number one, plus all the stuff that Xavier mentioned with Jaden Daniels and you know them taking the reins off of him a little bit and letting him do his own thing and throw the ball downfield maybe a little bit more than he did last year. And he had, you know, first year with Jaden Daniels, and he scores eight touchdowns on 31 receptions. So uh, I, I think that this could be a huge year for Darby. Um, but let's go to the defense here. And what did uh, what did VGR Plus say on the Pac-12 defense, Nick? All right, so our, our uh, defense, we... we uh, did not stick to just uh, 11 players. We did four defensive linemen, four linebackers, and five DBs. Uh, those highest-rated players, according to our numbers, are uh, Mustafa Johnson from Colorado, Kayvon Thibodeau at Oregon, Jay Tufele at USC, and Marlon uh, Tiapulutu at USC. Those were the, the top four uh, rated defensive lineman at linebacker, Colin Schooler at Arizona, Merlin Robertson at Arizona State, Nate Landman at Colorado, and Jihad Woods at Washington State. All four of those guys are 100 rated players. Uh, none of the de- defensive linemen have quite uh, reached that maximum rating yet, but at linebacker, all four of those guys did. Uh, and at defensive back, all five of these guys are, are 100 rated players as well. That's uh, Paulson Adebo at Stanford, former All-American, uh, Diamandre uh, Lenoir, I, I apologize, the Oregon uh, defensive back, Thomas Graham Jr. from Oregon as well, Elijah Molden at Washington, and Chase Lucas at Arizona State. All of those guys, through uh, their production experience and, and talent, have all reached uh, the 100 uh, max rating. There are so many good defensive linemen and defensive backs in, in this mm-hmm. conference. And there's a lot of good linebackers, too. So, I mean, this is this one was, I think, a lot tougher to do. I mean, obviously, we're, you know, we're like anybody else. We probably focus a little bit too much on the offensive side of the game, but that's where, you know, the, the touchdowns come from. So that's what we're looking at first. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, and, you know, we're CFF guys, too, uh, at the end of the day. But, Nick, you know, how does your uh, – you line up pretty well with this, but you definitely have a couple of your own guys in here that I like too. So give us a breakdown of your Pac-12 uh, all-conference team. So Mustafa Johnson, somebody that in 2018 was, from a uh, per-game standpoint, one of the most productive pass rushers in college football. He dealt with some injuries last year, which uh, obviously hurt that production, but he's somebody that 
I think, has an opportunity to, to really bounce back. And he's a name that potentially we could hear uh, a lot in, in uh, NFL draft talk in, in 2020. J2 Fele, I, I think a lot of us, probably all of us, uh, would say is the best interior defensive lineman in, in the conference. And, yeah. and we all have him as a, a first-team guy. Uh, Levi Anwazurike. Uh, again, I apologize from Washington. Uh, I know is is somebody that a lot of the talent evaluators at places like PFF are, are very high on him uh, from a, a pro prospect standpoint. And Kayvon Thibodeau was the number one rated player in the country as, as a, a true freshman coming into last year, according to a couple of different sites. So he's somebody that has just you know the sky high potential. Uh, and he's somebody that played really, really well as a, a true freshman. So uh, I, I went with those four uh, up front. That meant I had to leave off guys like Drake Jackson at USC, who was really good. Uh, Mika Tafua at, at Utah was productive in, in a very deep defensive line last year. And he's got a chance to, to really be sort of the guy this year. Uh, some other guys I, I know will, you know, you guys will talk about, uh, one that, that I was a little sad to leave off was Joe Tryon at, at Washington, somebody that, uh, I know has been very productive and also somebody that NFL, uh, evaluators are, are going to look closely at, at linebacker. Uh, I think the production from Colin Schoolers just something I, I couldn't ignore. Uh, he, he took a, a step back a little bit from a just statistical standpoint last year but he's still among the most productive linebackers in in the country uh 2018 was just unbelievable 2019 was very good and and i I expect that he will be similarly productive this year cameron good at, at cal didn't get a whole lot of recognition because of evan weaver was was the guy that was just racking up ridiculous tackle totals and and things like that but good was very good. He, he was he was very productive. A lot of tackles for loss. Uh, somebody that can help in the pass rush. Uh, on that note, Himmelkar Rashad at, at Oregon State had an unbelievable Beast. year as a pass rusher mm-hmm. last year. Uh, tackles for loss and, and sacks was one of the best in the country. Uh, considered going into the NFL draft, but uh, decided to come back. You know, from a from a physicality standpoint, probably makes sense. I mean, he's not, he's not small. He's 6'4", 236, but uh, he's somebody that, that, you know, probably still has a little bit of developing that he can do. So uh, I'm excited to see how he lines up this year when, uh, you know, opposing offensive coordinators are, are going to be maybe paying a little bit more attention to him early in the year than they did last year when maybe he snuck up on, on some people. Uh, Devin Lloyd at Utah is somebody who was similarly very, very productive. Uh, could have made a case maybe to be the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. I mean, his numbers were uh, were terrific. And, and he's somebody that I think is, because Utah lost so much, he's somebody that's going to have to continue to, to – take a step up, but he had 91 tackles, uh, 11 tackles for loss last year, six and a half sacks. And he, and he really closed strong. He had a sack in each of his last three games against uh, pretty quality competition, Oregon and Texas, those two losses. He, he still was able to get to the quarterback. So uh, some tough decisions at, at linebacker, a lot of really good players, uh, including, you know, left off a couple of hundred rated players, Merlin Robertson at Arizona state. And, uh, 
uh, Nate Landman at, at Colorado, both are, are hundred graded players. But I think the the uh, upside I saw from those linebackers just couldn't pass up. And then in the secondary, uh, there's just a ridiculous amount of talent. I mean, you could just you could fill out five Oregon players uh, first of all and make them all <laughs> yeah. 12. I mean, the, the talking about some of the great things I've read recently, PFF has a, a dive into the Oregon secondary and why it's the best it's in college ridiculous. football and one of the best units that, that they've seen in, in their history. And, and I have to agree. I mean, I put uh, Lenore and, and Graham as my number one guys. And, and I know that they aren't even the guys that PFF is highest on. They're yeah, exactly. incredibly high on Javon Holland uh, who's a safety, but uh, plays slot corner and, and ranks among their highest rated players ever at that position. Uh, Nick Pickett, the, the safety, and, and then they've got some young guys. Uh, Michael Wright was one of the highest rated corners coming into the, uh, you know, as a true freshman last year and, and did some great things as a return man, but can play defense as well. So all those guys are deserving. I went with Graham and, and Lenore and, and just couldn't pass up a guy like Elijah Molden at Washington, Cam Phillips at Arizona State is is uh, somebody who had a, an incredible uh, season last year. And then one of my favorite players to watch in the Pac-12, uh, the safety position, is uh, Talanoa Hufanga, USC. He's somebody that's just all over the field all the time and uh, really, really fun to watch. He's not the highest rated in our numbers. He's still over 90, and he's still a, a really, really good player according to our numbers. But that was more of a – you know, who do I like to watch? And at 6'1", 215, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he's a big safety, very productive and, and very athletic. And, and I thought uh, couldn't pass up a, a chance to put him on this list. Now, Xavier, how does your list differ? Well, I have Cameron Good at, on my defensive line. I cheated a little bit. Uh, but any guy who has nine and a half sacks to me is a defensive lineman. Yes, he's a bit of a tweener, uh, but that's where uh, that was my biggest difference there on the D-line. Um, I have Darian Butler. You'll get to uh, a reason why I have Darian Butler in my linebacking core. You have Merlin Robertson. But I think Merlin Robertson's going – those two combined are one of the best linebacking cores in uh, the Pac-12, if not the country. Uh, Darian Butler is a guy who had 77 uh, total tackles last year and is going into his junior year and should just be getting better. He's progressed his first two years. Uh, he had more tackles last year than his freshman year, and I think he's just going to get uh, better and better. I mean, the one I think – oh, I also have Jordan Fox. Now, this is a guy who is returning for his fifth year. Um, he was injured as a senior last year, but he was a Pac-12 all-, all um He's a Pac-12 honorable mention as a junior. Um, he, had, he played all 13 games and started in seven. He uh, led the team in tackles for loss as a junior as well. And after coming back from an injury, I think he's poised to be a part of a good Stanford defense that's going to allow him to play up to his ability. You know, as, as long as he re- comes back from injury nearly, if not better than the guy he was as a junior, I think he has an opportunity to surprise a lot of people um, for Stanford. And then the other guy uh, that I have different is uh, Caillou or Kiu Blue Kelly. I think this is a guy who's going to really uh, benefit from having Paulson um, and Debo on the other side of the other side of the field. I think he's going to get a lot of action this year. This is a kid who was a freshman last year, but he's long. He's athletic. He, uh, he did have one interception last year against Washington. I think he's going to surprise some people. I think he's going to have the opportunity like a Christian Fulton did last year or a Derek Stingley, whichever one you decide to look at the, the, throughout the year, uh, gets more, opportunities to make plays and he's going to make those plays next year on a Stanford defense that I think will be much improved uh for me on, on my uh defensive side here I did put Joe Tryon from uh Washington on my list 
eight sacks last year at, as an edge defender. Just a lot of fun to watch. Um, I got Jermaine Lole from Arizona State on my list as well. Uh, he's a smaller interior guy, but he had six and a half sacks last year and 71 stops as a uh, you know defensive lineman for Arizona State, which had a lot of questions uh, coming into the uh, the year last year in 2019 on the defensive line. I have, I mean, Thibodeau. Thibodeau and uh, the um, uh, Panay Sewell, those are like the most obvious ones on either one of these lists, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they're just the most obvious ones. So he had to be on there. You guys, neither one of you put the kid from USC uh, on your linebackers because you didn't want to try his name. It's fine. I'll do it. <laughs> it's, uh, Palai Gay uh, Gayot. No, I think the G is silent. A O T O T. Okay, well, I mean, yes. you know, yeah, obviously it wasn't your real reason because you know better than me. <laughs> um, but I also have uh, Merlin Robertson, who is in the VGR. Uh, from Arizona State on this list, uh, a big-time producer. We talked about Rashid from Oregon State. And Nate Landman, uh, th- hasn't he led college football in tackles like the last two years or something? The dude just racked up 8,000 tackles last season. And I remember them <laughs> talking about him. He had 113 stops last year, 104 the year before that. He also yep. had two sacks and a pick last year. The dude is outstanding for uh for Colorado. So I had to put him on my list. And um and then on the defensive backs, there's just too many to pick from, but I also had Lenoir, Lenore, whatever from Oregon in here, Elijah Molden obviously an all-conference guy last year. I think he's going to do that at Washington as well. Uh Adebo from Stanford who, you know, we've already talked about a little bit, but it really looked like Going from his sophomore year to his junior year, they just stopped throwing the ball in his direction. <laughs> he went from yeah. 64 tackles down to 33. Uh, he still had the same four interceptions, and, but only 10 passes defended last year. So it looks like, and I can't confirm it because I didn't watch every Stanford game, but it looks like they just quit throwing the ball to his side. And then, you know, the two other guys from Oregon in Javon Holland, who we've talked about before, uh, PFF is very high on him. I know the draft. A network is huge on him as far as the safety for next year. And just watching Oregon, you know, watch Oregon play a game and you are going to see die and breeze next to the ball every single play last year. So uh, I felt like I had to put Brady Breeze on this list as well. But there's there's some guys that uh, I left off. You know, I really like Mustafa Johnson. So it was hard for me not to put him on this list, but I wanted to get Joe Tryon on this list somewhere. So I might go with Mustafa Johnson over Tryon, but I like them both a lot. So a lot of uh, it's surprisingly good defense coming out of the Pac-12 this year, right? It seems, it seems that way. I mean, the, especially in the secondary, uh, there there are a lot of productive players, veteran players at the linebacker position. Uh, I think defensive line maybe is is a little bit shallow, but I think the high end there's some really exciting players. Uh, Thibodeau, of course, but but uh, you know Tufele, I think has a chance maybe to be a, a first round uh, type talent as well. So there there are a lot of very talented players, but I mean, who's going to score on Oregon? next year i I know i don't know uh i mean keaton slovis is gonna have a tough time throwing on the boys so uh it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch but um 
I think that's going to do it for us. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter machine at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E for Xavier. What do we have coming up next week? Which conference are we doing, Nick? Next week, we will uh, take a look at the, the Big 12, and, and uh, you'll be able to convince us uh, uh, maybe why Texas should be uh, the preseason favorite over Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, because Spencer Rattler sucks. So, uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I mean, uh, who knows? I haven't. Even Stay seen tuned. That. Right, right. I can't uh, wait for next week. It won't be far off of that, uh, as far as analysis goes, because I don't have a ton of time to deep dive right now. But uh, this was fun, guys, and uh, you know, I hope everyone is staying safe out there, and you know, be extra careful if you're going back out when. Uh, you know, all the states are kind of you know, lifting all of their stuff. So just be, yeah. be careful out there. And uh, we'll be back next week to preview the Big 12. And we will see you then. Take it easy, everybody. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.